pitchers and catchers. Pitchers and catchers. Pitchers and catchers. The day is finally here. Pitchers and catchers have reported it is officially the beginning of the countdown to baseball. We're going to talk about prospects five through one today. We're going to have a little bit of fun, as always, uh, discussing new rules, former players, and, of course, the stars of the future on today's episode of Locked On Guardians. You are Locked On Guardians, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, and thank you for listening to Lockdown Guardians. As they say at the end, they're your team every day. I want to thank you for making it your first listen. And also want to take a moment and say that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Lockdown. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com backslash Lockdown today to get started. Uh, I am Jeff. That is Justin over there. No cat yet. We will see if uh, Cinnamon decides to join us. A lot of people were commenting about how much they enjoyed her just staring at the camera for large parts of the show. So if you missed that. Tune in to about the 33 mark of yesterday's show. Uh, I've got some, I want to, you know, take a moment here and uh, again, thank everyone who is doing the part, downloading and all of that jive. Uh, we thank you and appreciate that even in the very end of the off season here. We know it is picking up with pitchers and catchers. Do you want to say Justin, uh, wrong side, retweeted a bunch of uh, great videos and stuff. So make sure to go check out his Twitter, which if you're watching on YouTube is right there. If you're not, it's at JL underscore baseball. Uh, so in terms of a few things I wanted to do just in the, uh, the old knock them off the rule change is not one we really discussed, but it sounds like they kind of made a late decision to, uh, enforce box more that anyone who's very herky jerky, the, you know, the names that came up across baseball were Kenley Jansen, Mike Clevenger. Um, those are the two I saw the most, uh, but anyone who has a lot of movement, because this is such an interpretation role. I'm a curious to see how much they actually enforce it. Cause they've been very willy nilly on pitcher things. And then, uh, but yeah, anyone who's got a lot of movement could be at greater risk of this. I, I also think like those guys who have kind of some of the bounciness, it's going to be harder with the pitch clock. So they're really making it hard on that subset of players. Uh, and then number two, I warned Justin, I had something fun that, uh, doesn't, well, doesn't relate to our main topic, but listen, we're recording on Valentine's day. Let's just go ahead and put that out there. So my question is, I have a two-part thesis I am going to make. Uh, and then Justin can comment and say if I'm totally wrong or totally not wrong. So my two-part thesis is, A, the player who most loves Cleveland in my lifetime, I feel like is Jose Ramirez, because I don't think any player has ever turned down more money to stay here. And player two, the biggest heartthrob in the history of Cleveland baseball in my lifetime, feels like Grady Sizemore. I can't think of any player who really captured the attention of the, I mean, we had Grady's ladies for a reason. Am I wrong in this? Is there someone I'm underestimating? Is there someone who maybe had a bigger tie to Cleveland, someone who was born here? Uh, was there someone who was more of a, uh, a heartthrob than Grady Sizemore on this, on these days? Uh, you know, I'm not going to bring up the most interesting relationship history of any, actually I'm going to, uh, not the one you think. I'm not going to talk about anyone currently related to the team. Uh, there was two famous New York Yankees who swapped wives and, uh, did a whole family switch and one of them came to Cleveland and I can't think who they are right now. So what I want you to do is comment below. If you can remember the wife swap players uh, or family swap, it wasn't just wives. They swap kids, everything crazy story. 
uh, couldn't get away with that anymore. And then if you think there's someone who is a more beloved or slash loves Cleveland more baseball figure or who the heartthrobs are, I'm forgetting, but now to Justin while everyone else is typing. Perfect. No edits. Grady Sizemore. We'll, we'll, we'll forget about the teacup incident, but uh, I, I cannot talk about, about that dark. incident. Yeah. We're talking about after dark activities here, obviously on lockdown guardians. Jeez. It is. It was a, it was a large guardians mug. After that was dark. not, that was no teacup. That was a large mug, my friend. <laughs> okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> I wasn't really paying attention to the mug, but uh, yes, Grady size more perfect. No, edits. that was one of my favorite players growing up uh, after Jim Tomey. I, it, my top three all time. It's tough. I, I my top two is some version of Tommy and Grady, and yeah, hard to think. I don't know. Carl Spierga loves Cleveland. Carl Spierga like just likes being part of baseball, so maybe it's not Cleveland, but I I'd he say loves he's up being there. loved. He's Carlos always Bayerga around. Loves love. He's always around. And yeah. then there's uh, um, Albert Bell, of course, who just oh, loved everyone. Oh yes, Albert Bell loved Cleveland. Loved Cleveland. Yes, all the the eggs thrown his way and. Uh, all that stuff. I'm trying to think. There was somebody else who, I mean, Jason Kipnis really liked it here. I felt like he was a, a very, um, a very well liked, or a person who really embraced Cleveland. So there is that. No, I, uh, Grady Sizemore is always going to be the great what if of my lifetime. It's going to be hard for anyone else to top that. He will be the one where you're like, his comps by age were Duke Snyder and Barry Bonds. It's just, uh, him and Brandon Webb, similar time yeah. and the way they fell yeah. apart. Big what ifs. Brandon Webb. Now, now, who could be the Brandon Webbs or the Grady Sizemores of this team? You'd typically think it's the top five prospects, and that's who we are going to get into today. We're going to move through these players, give them a little bit more time. Uh, I'm going to, since I have the mic, just go ahead and say my number five, and I'm also going to say this because someone Justin has already talked about in yesterday's show, if you want to go back and hear his take. I have Rokio. I have Rokio here over Angel Martinez, even though I think Martinez ceiling is higher with the bat. I think uh, Rokio is a little safer. Um, I think his low end outcome is similar to um, a less athletic Ahmed Rosario. Cause I, I mean, at, Ahmed Rosario runs really well. Like he's a, he's a really exceptional athlete. Probably doesn't get enough credit for how good of an athlete he is. But in terms of the, what he does offensively, I really think that that's more of the, the mid low, I'm not like low, low is he's a utility guy. Like that's still a possible, but his mid low outcome is closer to what Ahmed gives us, which is a league average shortstop, a guy who's in that, you know, 12 to 18 range, the middle of the pack type, which is a good player. It is a good player. I don't want anyone to sit there and think I'm just like bashing him all the time. I'm just, he's a good player. I think the guardians have the advantage of several players like Rokio, who could be better than good. Uh, he does a bit of everything, right? He he's got a lot of skills in that bag. Um, he has improved at every level. He has kind of continually gotten better and gotten stronger. And even though, like I said, I think Martinez has a hair, well, not a hair. I think he's got, a, I don't know if I, between a hair and significant mid-ground, <laughs> a mid-level uh, higher offensive ceiling, Rokio's safety and Rokio's, like, I think he's got, you know, just better uh, fielding outcomes as well. Gives him the slight elevation here. But if you told me Martinez ends up being better long run, I wouldn't be shocked. But they were close, Rokio's safety. I and listen, I I am as we get into this, you're gonna see I lean into safety. Yeah, and that's how I've usually had my list in the past too, is I've 
ranked higher and and i do have other guys like that too so we're gonna i think the i think the final four of our list is gonna be very similar so yes newsflash it might be a little bit boring but we'll tell you why um i've always kind of ranked based on safety as well at times um but i i've learned to lean into a little more risk depending on how good i think the upside is i guess that i've kind of leaned more into upside if it's there, uh, I think in the past with the Guardian system, it hasn't always been there. We've always they've always because this is an organization that drafts for safety, right? This is not a organization more of late. That, yeah, I mean they've they've drafted a little more risk lately. I think in certain years, I mean the risk goes along with what high school, anything high school related is yeah. more risk, and they've taken some risks and and I guess in some respects, chased the lottery was a bit of a risk yeah, as well. Say, but I agree. Yeah. But uh, no, I think you're right, right on, Rokio. I, I think the thing with I, the thing with him is that there is a high ceiling there, right? I think all these years he's been ranked as one of the up and coming prospects. Whether he was like a guy to watch, or he started getting on the top of hundreds as he got into the low minors, and then he started to break out, and then after the pandemic, and then the last couple of years where he started to hit the top 100 lists. I think we always felt like there was a good ceiling there, like there, and there still is a good ceiling for Rokio. But I wonder if we're getting to the point where people, again, I, I don't know if this is like, you know, post or prospect fatigue or post type fatigue, whatever you want to call it, with him because he's been around a while. But I wonder if the ceiling is going to be there for him, uh, or if this is just kind of who he is. Maybe he's better in, in the pros than or the majors than he is in the minors. Yeah, the, uh, the people I, I, who like called him little Lindor at points was just grossly unfair to him. Uh, I've hated yeah. that. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, the, there are some similarities mechanically in the swing and I guess the body type and things, but man, that's just a hard thing to project. Um, I, th- I think him and Rokio, are, are, are Martinez and Rokio are, are very similar in a lot of ways. The only thing I, I think whoever you feel like is going to be a shortstop long-term is higher, right? Like, if, if, if someone told you Martinez is for a for sure, surefire shortstop, you know, would, would you have him higher than Rokio? Yes. Yeah. So it really comes down to who do you believe can play shortstop long-term? And I, I've said, I think Rokio probably is the better shortstop of the two between him and Martinez, but I think Martinez can play shortstop. I'm not saying he's a better shortstop than Mart than, than Rokio, but I think he can play shortstop enough to where it can be a, an option for him. That's why I have Martinez at five, because I like the approach of the plate way better. And again, I, I, like I said yesterday with Oscar Gonzalez and, and Rokio to appoint some other guys, it's a blind spot in sort of ways with guys who don't walk a lot and just have a, a more aggressive approach. It, it's a, uh, it's harder to predict the future with them. You know, if, if that's going to work in the majors, they have to make a high amount of contact. They have to be able to recognize breaking pitches. They have to be able to recognize what pitches they can hit and what pitches they can drive. And when you don't take as many walks, it's harder to project. So that's why I like Martinez a little bit better because his discipline at the plate is a little better. He's younger. I know we've said this past off season that, you know, you have to be careful about how much you, how much weight you put into age per level. But Martinez is extremely young for his level and he performed very well at high A and double A. And like I said, I think he could play shortstop. They both have great baseball IQs. These guys are both, you know, Rokio had the nickname the professor, and and Rokio and uh, Martinez has the bloodlines with his dad and I think his uncle, who both played in the majors. So, you know, he's got the instincts too. I just think Martinez projects maybe a little better with his approach at the plate and 
Um, it'll it'll be depending if he grows into any power. If it's like, because I think both guys are like what fifteen to twenty home run power, but I think it's more likely Rokio gets the twenty home run power than Martinez. I think Martinez still has some growing to do to get there, but. Yeah, I've got Martinez all the way up at number five on my list this year, which is a, a big jump. I have to go back and look and see where I had him last year. Yeah, he's you know he's definitely you know, both these guys are players we probably heard more about as they were moving up, uh, and they both lived up to the hype. Not everyone does. We're not going to bury anyone at this point in time, but not everyone lives up to the hype. And so far, I feel like you know these two and Valera really have. They're up there and performing. Uh, speaking of things that live up to the hype. We're going to get into the top four prospects. Um, maybe I've got a surprise. Maybe there's someone you don't expect up there. Maybe I did a flip the table move. You'll have to tune in and see who the top four, why they're there, and why I believe our order is going to be different than anyone else's. But first, the quick note on someone with fantastic potential in their own right, a, a whole uh, company that's potential is through the roof, and that is our friends at FanDuel. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Uh, we'll get into Petco later in today's show, I think. Or the Petco the, Park? Uh, <laughs> no, not Peck, uh, the Pakoda. Pakoda projections. Pakoda yeah. projections. Pakoda projections say, again, what we say, bet the over on the Guardians. Uh, plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. So don't miss your chance to get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com backslash, I'm sorry, just slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with fanduel.com, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. So player four on this list, uh, I, I had my four first. Why don't you lead us off for four? Okay, at four, I think we're going to come very similar. I have Bo Naylor at number four. I think what he did last season, turning his, I don't say turning his career around, but kind of. Kind of. Yeah. If he had, an, if he had repeated last year, he's not in a top 30 list. He's not in our no, top No, for 50. sure. Like if he had repeated what he did, then his career would, I mean, maybe the guardians do trade for Murphy cause they have no option. Like, I mean, he did turn his career around. Yeah, I, I do. Th well, I think he got his, I think he, I know there's health and other things, but no, not necessarily health. It's just, he, you know, he had a good 2019 at low a, and then he missed all of 20. Obviously I already missed 2020 and they jumped him double a. So I think he just got his career back on track. I think he overcame some issues. Um, and had to make some, obviously had to make some swing changes and some some approach changes to the plate, which really helped him. But now he's he's back to kind of being the player that people project him to be. And now he's kind of added speed to his game. Obviously, he has taken his role as a catcher seriously as far as uh, working with pitchers and you know, he's learned Spanish. And, and these are things that don't show up in, in – well, they do show up in scouting reports if you watch the player in person. They don't show up on stat lines, right? Like – hearing about how he has taken on that kind of role in working with the pitching staff and how he has, has really grown defensively. There's still, there are still a lot of drawbacks defensively. I think there's still going to be some issues framing. I think there are still going to be some issues blocking framing. Who knows how long of an issue that'll even be with automated strike zone at some point like that might be not a concern. So really you'll have to concentrate on blocking and throwing runners out, but 
he does have an above average arm. So that's, that's a positive for him. Walks a ton, has real power, uh, has speed, obviously on the bases. He's a very dynamic player. We'll have to see what happens with the platoon splits. If he can hit lefties or not, I have, I'd have to go back and look and see it against lefties last year, but even one year minor league samples aren't always the most reliable, but I think the intangibles too. And this is why I didn't drop Bo Naylor out of the top 10 last year, even after the, in, coming into 2022, because, you know, I bet I had bet on the player, you know, bet on the guy's bloodlines, his work ethic, the, how much the organization likes him, how, you know, all these things that the, the he's always played with against higher competition, going back to his days in high school, the athleticism, when you bet on that kind of player, you give him kind of a mulligan, and that's what we're doing with Brian Lava Steve this year in some respects. So Naylor deserved that mulligan. He fell on a lot of lists last year. Um, Mine. Not to, you know, yeah. Mine. Well, I mean, no, like I just everywhere. Call a spade a spade. Yeah, Mine, he, he was not. He was closer to 20 on my list. I think he was in the 20s. Um, I'd have to pull the podcast. I don't know if I actually wrote it down anywhere. But I'm one. Like, I, I'm, I'm not afraid to admit when I'm wrong. Like, you know, that's how you learn and you grow. I mean, I, I could have been wrong, obviously. I could have said he was still deserving in the top 10 and he could have come back last season and done what he did in 2021. And I would have been wrong, but I, I mean, I just was guessing that he would be able to figure things back out based on, you know, everything we knew about him. So, and he did. So he's number four on my list uh, this year because I think he'll be, look, the bar for a average starting catcher is so low. I'd have to go back, but there have like been, I was looking at the numbers a while ago and I was doing my rankings. Like there has only been like a handful of guys over the last like five years you know, not even counting 2020 who have put up a two war season as a catcher. Um, you know, it's, it's not a lot. So the, the bar for being a, a league average catcher is pretty low. I think Naylor clears that bar and that's easy enough to call him uh, a top 10 prospect in the system and a top five for me. You know, I, uh, you know, I was really kind of debating. I, I was like, does, does Brian Shaw still qualify? You know, can, can he slide into this spot? Um, since we're trying to figure out where he's going to slide into the baseball team eventually, it feels like we're kidding. It's Naylor. Like, listen, he he's he did it all this year. There's not a lot of guys who have 2020 potential. And you know, as he, a catcher, he, as a catcher, uh, he walked at a high rate, which again in the lower minors doesn't have as much meaning, but it is something in the upper minors. That is a point where you're like, okay, this is something of value you we need to look at, discuss, and consider. Um but yeah, no, I, you know, look at his production and think, you know, it's, it's again, you know, it helped at the AAA level um, because of how, you know, how that park is and everything else. You know, he did get a little bit of a benefit from that, but that's when you also look at, you know, 50 games is not an insignificant amount at the AA level where he also performed very well. And we kind of saw um, what he can bring to the table. So yeah, I think you have to be excited and happy and, you know, for all the catching problems they have had and all of the catchers they have attempted to develop and the not a lot of success for those, um, he looks really close. And, you know, hopefully we'll see him step up and, you know, really perform this year. Yeah, whenever we do have a chance to see him out of Matt, like we said before, it'll probably start the year in AAA and, uh I'll be interested to see what he does for Team Canada, too, because that's going to be, you know, real competition out of the box in spring training for him that you wouldn't normally see. I know we had some people commenting before, too, saying, are you worried about his I was eight game about that. sample size? <laughs> and I was like, uh, eight games? No, I'm not worried. If it had been his 87-game sample from 2021, yes, I would have been worried. Um, 
the walk rate, I don't know, the walk rate, we talked about this yesterday, the walk rate in AAA, we said we had to take some of that with a grain of salt yeah. because of the baseball and the pitchers and things like that in AAA. And he did go from walking 20% of the time back in AA back to 12% of the time in AAA. So I wonder if he'll settle into a lower rate in the majors, but I would um, bet on it. it. It would still, I would imagine we're still talking like a nine or 10% walk yeah. rate, maybe eight at the worst. Um, yeah, agreed. Once he settles in. So that's still going to be a healthy rate as long as he keeps the strikeout rate uh, somewhere in the mid twenties, which is probably where he'll end up being. Although, you know, some of that I think is due to being passive too. He does have a little bit of uh, passivity to his game too, which I, I guess is kind of a concern, but not as much considering we're talking about a catcher here. I think it makes a big difference because we're talking about, again, a low bar for a good offensive catcher. Um, yeah. And it, you know, it's, it is kind of funny because and for so long, the, basically the book on him was, oh, you know, he's a third baseman and it kind of goes to show a lot of people didn't think he'd be able to stick a catcher. So it's, you know, mm-hmm. a, an accomplishment that he did. And it's just kind of interesting to see um, how he continues to grow. And again, that that might be more than, you know, it, this might be something people would be surprised to hear me say, but more than like the statistics or anything else is just like how much he has worked at all aspects of the game. You mentioned the bilinguality and the things like that that he has worked on. And it's like that is where like I really get excited because, I mean, this this dude puts in the work. Mm-hmm. That's they ask of their catchers, too. If you don't do it, yeah. it's hard to stick a catcher in this organization. That's why he has. A lot of people thought the bat would push him to the majors, like like uh, Oakland's Tyler Soderstrom, right? Like yeah. his bat is way above his d- defense. They pretty much just you know scrapped the catcher thing. And that could have been the case for Naylor. We could be talking about Naylor in the majors, like sometime this year as a first, or not even last year as a first baseman himself, if they had just decided, okay, we're not going to have him catch because we like the bat. And he might have, you know, catchers develop slower. Uh, and they, and they've challenged him so much. Like in age 19, he goes right to low A, you know, he doesn't even go to, to short season, doesn't hold back. He goes right to low A and he puts up a solid season. Obviously, double A was tough for him, but he was playing against a lot of <laughs> older competition. With uh, well, in travel teams in Canada too, and he was an uh, an amateur, so he has always played against older competition. Yeah, I feel like I better cut you off here. Whenever we get through our top three, (laughs) as we're approaching ten minutes on Naylor, um, let's go three. Um, third on my list. Uh, I know we've been going back and forth, but since I cut you off, did what everyone loves. Let's just go ahead. I have Gavin Williams at three. Uh, the reason he is at three is listen. I just have to explain this now. I look at health risk because, again, talk you know the great John Sickles. Why do pitchers fail? The inability to keep the ball in the zone and injury. Like inju- an injury is number one. Um, there are he- health risks. There were teams who like his medicals were very scary um, for some teams. Like he was off boards. There were teams who wouldn't even consider drafting him. Um, do they regret that now? Maybe. Like I think he'd probably be a top ten pick if you read the, that draft now. But this stuff is really good. The performance is fantastic. That's one of the best debut seasons I've ever seen. Um, he's got you know front of the front of the rotation potential. Just when I'm looking at the whole picture with with this team, um, he's got a little bit more risk due to health, and that's really the only reason that he is not you know one or two is just the health concern, which you know he isn't the only one with. Uh, is what holds him back a little bit more for me. But I, I think he is, you know, there's a reason why I was like, I, you know, I've been driving the Sean Murphy bandwagon since that dude was at Wright state. 
I I was literally the only person who gave him a first round grade. And I still said I wouldn't trade any of the big three for him. And there's a reason why like that. I mean, he's got a chance for, I think, three plus pitches. And the stuff is just unreal. And you just health. That's it. Yeah, it really is just health for him. And I, well, I think it's also command, too. OK, that's that's the thing. Like the positives. I also have Gavin Williams number three. Again, I said our last our last four were going to be boring because we're not going to have a whole lot of debate. But I mean, quickly, the positives for Gavin Williams, obviously, it's a high <laughs> fastball can get up to ninety nine. Um, it's, it's just got incredible mm-hmm. vertical on it and, and so much spin at the top of the zone. It's hard for hitters to square up. The slider is disgusting. The curveball is huge. You know, he can throw both of those. And, and uh, the changeup does lack a little bit to me. It's a power changeup, but I think it's too firm. And I think what the only downside I saw last season besides the injuries is that there's a lot of non-competitive pitches. I feel like he's either nibbling sometimes or – He's trying to go for the strikeout versus just pitching. And there was a good article the other day um, in Baseball America that I, if you have a subscription, I urge you to check out. And it talked about the Rays' approach to improving guys' control. And it was essentially just throw the ball down the middle of the plate. If you have good stuff, chances are it won't be down the middle anyway because your stuff is so good and it moves. It'll do whatever. This is something Cleveland did with Jake Westbrook back in the day. Remember when Jake yeah. Westbrook was a, a really – this is going to be a weird – They tried it with credit with Fausto as well or Roberto. Yeah, when you have stuff like that, and, and I think Corey Kluber to an extent too, just throw it down the middle, let your stuff do the work, and that has improved the raise control. And I think Gavin Williams would benefit from that because um, his stuff is absolutely nasty. I think it just times, I don't know if he's just fishing, fishing for a strikeout, uh, but he had a lot of non-competitive pitches in Akron. Some of his outings were just short, and it's not due to lack of stuff. It was just sometimes he was getting uh, behind in the count or was was – going 0-2 and getting, you know, getting it back to 2-2. Um, so that's my only concern there. I think he's an interesting medium between the other two pitchers we're going to talk about. But uh, he also could be the rare starter who can dominate without a plus changeup because he's got the slider that he can uh, toy with righties on. He's got a, a curveball that he should be able to work in left on left-handers. To, I, know, I know usually the curveball goes into the hitter's bat path, but if he can back back foot the curveball on them because it's so big and it's so vertical. It might work. Um, there's not a lot of guys that don't that succeed without a changeup as far as being a, a top of the rotation starter. But I think Williams can, it's just, to me, it's a matter, like you said, it's health. And I think he's got to shore the control up a little bit. I, I worry about, like I said, just some non-competitive pitches and um, just getting the ball over the plate and letting his stuff do the talking for him. Yeah, no, that all seems fair. Why don't you lead us off with number two? Or actually, number before two. we do it, I'm going to cut you off again. I lied. Oh, no. We should take our break here at this point in the show. Uh, I know I'm not supposed to use the words break, but hey, you know, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and get into the top two and why why we probably disagree with the consensus at the top of the board. Uh, we'll get into it. We have very good reasons. You're going to hear it all on today's episode of Lockdown Guardians. Okay. Uh, what now lead us off now that I've, uh, been the annoying person and did all of that yet again, uh, explain why it is that this team, um, uh, who's number two. Yeah. I, I don't think we're the, I think we're one of a few people that don't have Daniel Espino at number one, but I have Daniel Espino at number two. Uh, obviously, you know, what else, what else can we say about Daniel Espino that hasn't already been said? I mean, a ridiculous fastball, right? Uh, a workout warrior, the guy has incredible flexibility, takes care of his body, 
uh, really has to, honestly. I mean, he had a, obviously a fantastic season a year ago in terms of production when he was on the field. Uh, he wasn't on the field very long, but obviously plus plus fed 80 grade fastball some places, maybe a 70, depending on how you feel about it. Easily two more, three plus pitches. The changeups coming along. Control came along last year. I think it's it's probably easy to say if Daniel Spino throws 100 innings last season, I think we both think he's number one. As long as he stayed on the pace he was started off on. He struck out 35 guys in 18 innings. That's he struck out over half the batters he faced. So, you know, if he if he if he pitches even 90 innings last year, I think we both feel like he's number one, right? I don't forget that. I think I need about a hundred. Uh, just about, it's yeah. more like how long, you know, if it was like if he came back, you know, and got a few more in, or if he had just been like ticky tacky things here and there. But it's the seriousness of like a knee injury that was pretty significant, and then the elbow injury, and like, listen, I sat here and did this show. I was hosting this. I was hosting this podcast on draft night when he was selected. And I was like, well, he's really interesting. At one point I thought he'd be a top 10 pick. He's a no doubt future MLB player. As long as he stays healthy, the one thing is he's going to get hurt and miss significant time. And I, you know, I called it the minute he was drafted. Like it is a, it is a lot of, um, he's putting a lot of stress on his body with his delivery. And like for people who hate that type of delivery, like there were people again, I'll go back to it. Like, Listen, uh, Cleveland's not afraid to take those big swings, but you know there are people who had Brady Aiken off their board because of the injury stuff. Obviously, that's not what you want to hear there. But it's Ethan also like Gavin, Ethan Hankins was off boards, Gavin Williams, Daniel Espino, teams that are more risk adverse want nothing to do with these guys. And we'll see if it works out for. Listen, Hankins still has a chance. We'll see. Like you know, there's some mm-hmm. places that are very high on him, uh, but yeah, I mean, Espino was voted the best fastball insider in the minors. If as long as he stays healthy and this isn't like a James Caprillion situation where like, I mean, I don't know if people remember how good he was before he got to Oakland, before his arm just kind of fell off and he's never been quite the same guy. Um, you know, as long as we can avoid that, like your, your worst case scenario is having another class A in the bullpen. Like I, I honestly believe his stuff is on that level that he could be, Imagine like if he can't hold up a starter because of the violence and everything in that delivery. And I'm not saying he, and I'm not saying he won't, if I have him second, I believe he will. Obviously, if I think if I thought he was a relief only guy, he'd be much lower. But if, you know, as long as he can return from injury where he is right now, you could have class A and class A part two in the eighth and ninth inning. And that's the thing too. Like we get to the postseason this year, if his innings count is low enough, like you could have that. That's that's the thing that can keep managers um, cold sweats at night is that combination at the back of a pen. Yeah. You're talking about Edwin Diaz, right? Like that's, if you think, if you think Edwin Diaz is the number one closer in baseball above class a, I won't fault you for that. But Daniel Spino could be Edwin Diaz to Daniel class a, like that's how good he could be as a reliever. So yeah, the floor is really good. If he can stay healthy, if you can get 50 innings on him in the bullpen and keep him healthy, that's fine. And that's still good enough to make him, a ridiculously good prospect because guys like that don't come along every day. So even if he doesn't um, end up being a starter, it's still fair to rank him as, you know, extremely high because, you know, closers like that just don't grow on paper or grow on, on trees. Trees turn into paper. You turn into paper. Yeah. Same thought. A weird roundabout. They don't, they don't just, they don't just show up, you know? So uh, obviously there's a lot more value there. If he is a starter long-term, so that's how we said, if he had thrown hundred innings, I think there's no doubt he's the number one prospect. It also depends on the injury too, because look, 
if he had been out with a knee all last year, I'd be less concerned myself. But the fact is, he the, the shoulder injury developed because of the knee. This isn't the first time we've heard about a knee and a shoulder issue with him. So these aren't new things. That's the concern. And this is where you you and I both kind of went risk averse with our ranking. So obviously, number one, not not uh, not super hard to figure out who our. I mean, I, I said in is, December right? he'd be my number one. Like I, I think. I think I might have come to the conclusion a little bit before you, not to get too braggy, um, but but I think the only time. reason the only reason I got there is just because I'm risk adverse. Like I am the guy who has been on record as saying, "Listen, I would have never drafted Daniel Espino because I don't believe in drafting prep pitchers in round one." So like I am that guy. So I am extremely risk adverse. So it should be no surprise that it's it's Mister. Bibby, right? That's what everyone's calling him on all the interviews everywhere. I mean, I, I, uh, I'm just teasing if any of his family is listening. By B, let's say it again for for all the people. By B, uh, bilingual B B by B, yeah. yes, a B that speaks two languages. Um, yeah, that Bibby thing has been kind of interesting to watch. Who, <laughs> who says that? Uh, listen, he. Was not the guy a year ago. I thought it would be Den home. I've talked about that. And Same. then, you know, when they drafted him out of Poulter, I was like, well, interesting. Like, you know, because because he was a guy who had been draft eligible for two years. And I was like, well, he fits their mold. But the jump, like, and limiting and across multiple levels. And he's throwing harder now this offseason than he threw during the season. He just keeps getting stronger. And they're – I – don't believe there's any like even minor injury history with him that has popped up. Like it's a clean bill of health. His stuff is getting better and better. The control is still there. The secondary offerings are strong and the velocity and the spin and everything else just keeps building up, building up, building up. And I, you know, it's, he's the safest guy. If all, if you could guarantee me all of these players would stay healthy um, with no injuries at all. Yes. Espino's one, but mm-hmm. when you can't guarantee that, I'm going to lean towards the guy who's also got p- potential ace stuff, uh, whether or not you want to some, I, I just think some places are slow to catch up. I mean, we know places have been slow to catch up on him. He should have been, you know, in the top 10 discussion mid season and a lot of places he wasn't, he was like not even in the top 20 yet. And he's really, you know, I, I had Oakland fans being like, could he be a third piece? I'm like, he is not a third piece. Like he is not a third piece. Like people were still slow to really catch up to him. And I think they're still catching up. And the thing is like, if you're, if you're, if you're playing catch up, then you're way behind because all he's done is improve. Even when the season is, is not occurring. I am going to make my bold prediction. Now. I, I think we can, I want to, I usually save these before because last year when I did it over at GBI and I'll do it again for my newsletter. Um, we'll probably do it here as well. I usually do my bold prediction, but Last year, I had Will a Will Brennan breakout as my bold prediction. I didn't think I didn't have him making the majors. That was wild, but I had him as the breakout prospect last year. Um, I'm going to say that the Tanner Bybee cements himself this season as the organization's number one prospect, and I would not be surprised if he forces his way up into Cleveland sometime this year. I think they they know exactly what they have in him, and he's getting better. He has worked his tail off. And he's got at least uh, every, every pitch he has, all four pitches are at least average, you know, at the very worst, his curveball is probably average. And that's everything else is above that. And they're the changeup is, is a weapon. The lefties he'll throw it to righties. The slider kills righties. Uh, 
the fastball's good. He's throwing harder. He might throw a hundred this year. Um, I, I'll, like there's you, my bold prediction. He will. He'll hit a hundred this yeah, year. Yeah, he'll hit a hundred this year. I think that he might hit one hundred one even at the rate he's going. Yeah. Um, like if you want to knock anything, we'll, we'll see. Like you know, there are some places where like you know, oh, I don't know if he can sustain the fastball velocity. He was ninety three to ninety six all year, ninety seven yeah. last year. You know, it, it was April to September, ninety three, ninety seven all year. There was no like. He didn't, he didn't draw back to the 90-93 like he did in college. He was there all year, and he's getting stronger, and he's getting better. The only like the knock you could say on him last year was, okay, the fastball at times, if he left it in the zone, could be elevated and hit for home runs. He did give up his share, you know, a little bit of home runs in, in low A. Um, he gave up less in double A for whatever reason. That's interesting. But, uh, like, you could say maybe, like, maybe there his fastball could be prone to home runs against uh, better hitters. And maybe he relies on it too much and he's got to go with his secondaries more just because, you know, guys are, are sitting fastball. But if he's throwing 100, if he's throwing 96, 97, 98 and hitting 100, that may make up for whatever issues he had, might have had with the fastball there. So, and, and maybe the other thing you could say is like, there's maybe some effort to his delivery. Like he is a, uh, a grunter and, uh, you know, he, he I don't want to say it's a full body delivery, but it's like, you know, because he has the the build and the strength to do all of it. It's just, you know, he does uh, put a lot of effort into it. I'm not sure what the best way to say that is, but there is some effort to the delivery. Now, not like violence where you worry he's going to get hurt or lose control because he obviously doesn't walk anybody. Like he just puts everything. He wants to throw the living crap out of the ball is what I'm saying. That's what he wants to do. And he does it. Um, but he doesn't overthrow. Like there's that fine line. No, he's, like, he's, it's still yeah. like, because of his because of his strength and and his uh, athleticism, that he's really improved over the last year. It doesn't matter, but like I, I, I'm, I'm like nitpicking tiny things here, and that's like such a small thing. That's why like he is a safe prospect, and um, there's still maybe more ceiling in the tank than we thought before. That's that's why he is both of our number one prospects. You know, that's super boring for us to agree on the top four, but uh, you know, not not the first time we didn't you know doing this off yeah. off podcast for years talking baseball and we've agreed on everything except for Will Smith and eggnog and we're still agreeing everything here yeah well and we disagreed on the uh, the uh, the new rules from yesterday which we talked about in the afternoon. yeah a little bit a little bit but yeah I think you know it just he keeps getting better and better and you know you'll see outdated scouting reports that are not big on the change up and it, that's kind of a sign that if they're saying the change up is not not you know it, it not a the weapon then good. yeah then it's that's kind of your sign to move on again and you know listen it's an impossible job if you're an evaluator especially if you're covering multiple teams we're lucky we're mostly covering one team so it's right. a lot easier but yeah he is he's the real deal and uh you know it, Spino gets a lot of hype um and justifiably so, but Tanner Bybee, Gavin Williams, I mean, these, these guys are really, really good. Who, who is the best fifth round pick in the system and organization history? I know you've done this recently. Who was the best fifth round pick they've had? Um, I don't think it was Bieber yet. I, let me, let me, it's a good question. I think I, thought I mean, Bieber I, was a third round pick. No, it wasn't. Bieber was a, wasn't, he was at least a, I thought he was at least a fourth. No, maybe Savali was. No, he was the right. uh, yeah fourth round for Bieber. I'm sorry. So in the 
the fourth round. Uh, yeah. Okay. Oh no, I didn't change this. So if I go ahead and pull uh, franchise fourth round guardians go uh, right now, it's uh, Bieber and Corbin Burns, by the way, were both taken in the fourth round that year. How about that? Corbin Burns, future Cleveland guardian Corbin Burns. So yeah, he was, but that's interesting. They're both uh, right now. He is second to Paul bird by one win. Shane Bieber is in the fourth. Uh, Doug Drabeck, who they failed to sign is number one in the fifth round. The highest war ever belongs to Chris Archer at 13.4 and the uh, second highest win of anyone who signed. I'm not familiar with Tim Lohler who didn't sign a left-hand pitcher out of Arkansas is Stephen Kwan already has the second best war. Third, Ryan Drees for uh, Zach Putnam, who did, again really didn't play here. Five, Ben Francisco. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Quan, Gaddis, Kaitom, Merriweather, Archer. They've done really well in the fifth of late, though. Like that's that's their magic round. It feels like if the second is where they seem to always flub it, the fifth is where they seem to to find it. So does Tanner Bybee blow Chris Archer away? And how many? Years I does he think <laughs> I think so. Um, I mean, listen, Archer was really good for a time there. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a reason why the pirates made, and listen, I thought it was a good trade at the time because Tyler glass now and, uh, Meadows couldn't seem to put it together. They'd been on the cusp for so long. They didn't, you know, it's like, whatever, Hey, go ahead and make that deal. They traded two broken Mm -hmm. prospects. And that was before we knew about the Rays dark magic. Uh, I mean, 13.4 is a solid war and it's just unfortunate that like, health became an issue i mean he was his age 28 he was an all-star um Mm -hmm. and he was he was a really good pitcher for 24 25 and 26 so yeah i uh i think he gets past him though i mean he essentially was about a four-year peak guy and then it's been struggles since then so i think i think he's got to hear here first jeff jeff is saying tanner bybee will be be the best cleveland draft pick out of the fifth round ever yes and all-time fifth round pick if you have both of our you take both of our guests which is bybee and heron i'm i'll I'll put i'll put my name on it i'll say i I predict both (laughs) those guys will be the greatest draft pick in those rounds in the history of the franchise and whatever for (laughs) for heron because his round doesn't exist anymore there's not there's no future guys that can surpass and and you know if you listen to that show no one from the 29th round has actually debuted for played for the cleveland guardians slash indians in the history of that pick uh jonathan van every i believe the outfielder played a little bit Mm -hmm. with boston and then um an infielder sample simple i want to say who went over in the rick sutcliffe trade um that they traded away that infielder simple john jack simple sample uh is probably the top one um yeah, in this one, there, there's a little bit more. Uh, if a 10th round pick wants to come on the show, I'll definitely call them the future greatest 10th round pick is that is the just a complete black hole of death and despair. Um, no offense Yikes. to our friends taken in the 10th round, but I don't think we have anyone who's even been a regular major leaguer to give you an idea with that one. That is like the one round. You can go like all the way to like 30 and every round has produced one major league player except for the 10th. Interesting. Well, I guess we'll find out. Now we get to tag this with that draft history piece just for fun. But uh, yes, <laughs> any do draft history. Uh, we'll see if Jacob Zibin can break it. You know, he's he's definitely he's let's put it this way. J- that Jacob Zibin has over two times the highest bonus of the number two guy, Tyler Holt. And the third highest bonus was over a million dollars less than Jacob Zibin. So he is he's the odds on favorite. Um, if you're curious, greatest 10th round pick ever, Paulo Espino. That's, that's what cousin of Daniel Espino, also playing for Team Panama this year in WBC. Mm, there we go. Uh, anything else today. you want to add on our 
Oreo double stuffed edition here as we're approaching 44 uh, minutes. I'm just looking at the 2018 draft class now that has Bo Naylor, Nick Sandlin, Richie Palacio, Stephen Kwan, Cody Morris, and Brian Lavastida. It's turning into a pretty good draft class, actually. And then, Tim you know, Hankins can still, yeah, Hankins, yeah, Hankins is still around. there. You know, Torres, uh, you still could Torres get is, something. Too, yeah. Listen, I'm, Torres is an interesting arm. He's way behind. They need to move him to the pen, but like he's two years removed from injury. I wouldn't shock me if he had a really good year, especially if they just shifted his role as and let him be fastball slider as a reliever and go quick. Mm-hmm. I also really loved speaking of 10th round picks, Robert Broom. So I uh, we'll, we'll see if he's still in the organization. I'm rooting for him. I said that one got his, swept out from under you. Uh, I did. I, I put him and Sandlin on equal footing in that draft class. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I mean, this, Shane McCarthy might get a cup of coffee, even go down this list. It's it was, I like Shane McCarthy. Yeah, it's we're it's going. A, yeah, we're just it's a strong team. This is the fun thing, though, because like 2018 strong draft. We talked about uh, 2016 strong draft. We talked about the 21. Like they're putting together more of these where in between CC Sabathia and Lonnie Chisenhall, they didn't have a single first rounder who became a regular. So it is a nice change from my early years of covering the draft <laughs> where it was a ooh, it was ugly times. But uh, I want to thank you all for listening, rating, and reviewing. Tomorrow is the draft the prospect draft we are going to go back and forth there is you know who's going to jump on bo naylor because there's not much behind him is he the first overall pick because of depth maybe it's going to be a debate to be had and, and uh or you jump on pitchers hoping to get two of the big three you'll have to tune in tomorrow and find out as we build i don't know if we're going to build a full 25 man roster are we going to go that deep potentially we'll see how long it takes and uh but thank you all for listening reading reviewing subscribing clicking that little bell all that fun jive. Uh, We appreciate all of you and go, go guardians go.